Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we continue to explore the implication of Jesus as our High Priest. It helps us start with the end in mind, to examine what spiritual maturity is and what the ministry of Jesus as High Priest does for us. A key part of the process is to wrestle with our guilt and overcome it by boldly approaching the throne of grace. The great gift of Jesus as the High Priest is that it gives us access to God. Righteousness comes from the heart, not from rules and laws, and the heart is stirred most effectively through intimacy with God. Well, we got, we got here, we were talking about Jesus as the ministry of Melchizedek, and we are in Hebrews chapter 7, and we saw that Jesus is the Son, and He's also the High Priest, the Son being the, this uh, title of royalty or authority, and the High Priest being this ministry of uh, intercession. And we saw that He's a, a priest by the Word of God. We saw in 720 through 21, the Lord has sworn, and we went through and looked at the Word and how the Word is all these different things to us. And one of the things it is is uh, the determinant that Jesus is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And of course, we saw that it's a continuous ministry forever that He ministers continually for us, and it's something that's not going to uh, cease. And we saw that it's a transcendent thing. In 722 it says, By so much more Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. So we've got a better covenant by this Melchizedek high priest. We started this session, uh, or sorry, this section, looking at chapter 5. Let's just review that for a minute, kind of get our heads back into uh, the flow of the thought here. He says in chapter 5, uh, verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men and things pertaining to God. They may offer both gifts and sacrifices. So he's talking about this high priestly service. And of course, we're talking to uh, the Apostle Paul, talking to his dear friends who are all Jewish believers. Uh, so they're all obviously very, uh, very... Uh, uh, familiar with this, it would have been something they continued to do, and we've gone over that in detail in Acts. That uh, we've shown that uh, uh, Paul himself continued to practice Judaism and all of its uh, features all the way through his life, as did uh, most most uh, as did the Jewish Christians in general. And then he goes to uh, in chapter uh, five, verse nine. He says, "And having been perfected, talking about Jesus." This is this word teleosi, or teleoso, I can't remember how you pronounce it, the telescope word. He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And again, we're talking here in this book, the context is eternal salvation is this lasting salvation which in, it, it, with the emphasis on restoring all of creation to its proper spot, including us to our appropriate spot as servant kings. And that part of it only happens if we obey him. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. 
So we're talking about Jesus and his priestly ministry of, of um, service as according to the order of Melchizedek. And the introduction to this whole explanation of Jesus with his priestly ministry according to the order of Melchizedek is, this is hard to explain only for one reason. What's the reason it's hard to explain? You've become dull of hearing. Okay, you you need you need to get the wax out of your ears so I can explain this. Now he's going to then uh, talk about Melchizedek all through chapter six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. In six, you might recall he says, "And this we will do if God permits." What's this? We're going to move from elementary things to advanced things. We're going to move from. Uh, baptisms and washings and repentance from dead works and and eternal salvation. That's elementary. We're going to move to understanding Jesus as a high priest according to Melchizedek, if God permits. Now, why would God not permit? Because if we know what the right thing to do is and don't do it, the window of repentance closes, as it did for the children of Israel, who tested God ten times in the wilderness, and eventually God says, that's it. You can't have the inheritance. He did not disown them as children. He, they lost their inheritance. Okay? And this is the basic picture that Paul gives to us as we go through this 6, 7, 8. So last week we went in and looked at chapter 7. And we saw Melchizedek, high priest, according to the word of God. It was continuous. It was transcendent. And all of this, of course, it goes back to the context of chapter 2, which says, Do not neglect so great a salvation, which was spoken by the word of Jesus, the, high, the Son and the high priest. Uh, so we, we, we don't want to neglect this word because it's so damaging to us to neglect. He wants to make us a servant king. He wants to raise us back to this point where we have the glory and honor of... of uh, uh, reigning over the creation, and that's one of the great rewards of a faithful life. And it's something that you can throw away. Okay, so today what I want to do is just start with the end in mind a little bit. I want to, I want you to see what the punchline is, since it takes a while to get there. Let's look at chapter 10, verse 19. And this is where, in chapter 10, verse 19, this is where... He has a punchline of talking about Jesus as the high priest of Melchizedek. This is the hard to explain part. And this is where we're headed. So chapter, nine, uh, chapter 10, verse 19, Therefore, brethren... Now remember, these are all brethren. Their, their salvation in the sense of justification is never in doubt. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Why is it we can enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus? He is the high priest with a better sacrifice. By new and living way, which he, Jesus, consecrated for us through the veil that is his flex. The veil here is a reference to the tabernacle that had a veil between the inner court and the holy of holies. And he talks in chapter uh, 9 and 10, we'll see it, that there's a real tabernacle in heaven. Uh, the one on earth was a copy of the one in heaven. And the real one in heaven was just the same thing. And, and Jesus took that veil away. His veil is his flesh. 
which was the better sacrifice. And having a high priest over the, the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having, number one, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and number two, our bodies washed with pure water. Number three, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Number four, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as the day approaches. So this is where we're headed. This is what maturity is. This is what the uh, ministry of Jesus as high priest does for us. It gives us a clean heart. It cleanses our conscience. Does anybody here ever have any trouble with guilt? Does anybody here look back on something that you've done and, and with great regret? Well, we all have, I think. This is, this is a place to have that cleansed. And not, not by doing anything here on earth necessarily, although the scripture tells us confess your sins to one another. And uh, there are things we should do. It tells people we're sorry and so forth. But real cleansing happens when we boldly approach the throne of grace, the holiest, by the blood of Jesus. And our bodies washed with pure water. See, our bodies actually get cleansed from the inside out. When our conscience is clear, then our bodies become cleansed. We hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What is that hope? The hope is that all of our greatest desires and longings, everything we want to be, all of all of the hopes and dreams we have will actually be fulfilled. And Jesus has said, if you'll follow my way, what you really want will happen. These appetites that we have that fool us into thinking that's what we really want, they're actually a huge distraction. And the way we, what that leads to then is stirring up and together we do love and good works. And it all happens from the inside out. So that's where we're headed here with this whole uh, discussion of Jesus as Melchizedek. So let's go back to uh, chapter uh, 8. And what we're going to see here, we're going to see three things as we go through and look at this new covenant we saw in 722, by so much more Jesus has become surety or the guarantee of a better covenant. And that's what we're going to start talking about here, a new covenant. And the new covenant has three components. We're going to see these over and over again. It has a a better sacrifice, a better priestly service, and a new heart. A better sacrifice, a better priestly service, and a new heart. We're going to see this really over and over. Okay, chapter 8, verse 1. Now this is the main point of the things we're saying. And he's about to summarize 6 and 7 here. This is the main point. We have such a high priest. Now, if you're a Jew and you think of a high priest, what does high priest do for you on a daily basis? What's the benefit? Cleansing, okay. It's an access to God sort of a thing, right? So if you think, well, we have this kind of a high priest and he gives you access to God, what's the point? Would you not want to take advantage of it, right? Why why would you want to neglect this deliverance? Going back to chapter 2, verse 3. Do not neglect this salvation. 
Again, salvation is is a word that requires context. You can save money. You can save meatloaf after it's left over. You know, it's it means delivered from something. And in this chapter, we're being delivered from death into life in its full completion, not just the new birth. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So if you have uh, the king of the universe, and that's what Jews think of God as king of the universe, and seated by, seated by the right hand of the king of the universe is someone who will intercede for you, it's obvious what needs to happen. We need to take advantage of it. Chapter 8, verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, not man. You know, the Jews had the tabernacle in the wilderness, and at this point in time, they still have the temple in Jerusalem functioning. It's going to be a few years before it's torn down by Titus of the Romans, and it hasn't been built since, although today there's a whole reconstruction of the temple effort happening. Uh, It'll be one of the more controversial things to happen toward the end of time here. Um, so the true tabernacle is in heaven and we'll see that next week there's actually a copy the the thing they did in the wilderness is a copy of that in heaven the Lord erected that verse 3 for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices so what do priests do? they offer gifts and sacrifices idolatry is generally offering a priest Money, so he will sacrifice and offer gifts to a false god so you can get what you want. And again, if we're going to be approaching this high priest and we're going to do so in a way to get something that's not in our best interest, it's not really going to go well. This high priest wants what's in our best interest. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, this high priest, also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. In other words, the blueprint of the tabernacle was given to Moses by God. And Jesus is not an earthly minister. If he was, he would still be on earth. He's not. So there's a true tabernacle in heaven and a true priest in heaven. And the Levitical priests and the uh, tabernacle of the uh, Old Testament are both copies of the real. Verse 6, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, this new covenant. So you've got a better priest and a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Now, fought by faultless here, I think he means that it works, that it achieved the desired result. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. In other words, it didn't work. I had one covenant and it didn't, didn't accomplish the results. So I'm going to do a better one. And I disregarded them. Now we're going to go into great detail on what this means. I disregarded them. We'll come back to that. Says the Lord, 
For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. So what was wrong with the first covenant? Was it, was it that the law was inadequate? No, the law wasn't inadequate. The law is good. What was the problem? The people didn't change. And the new covenant is to take that law that was, that was perfect and put it in the heart. You know, Romans 8, Paul says, if we walk in the Spirit, we fulfill the law. So this outside-in sort of thing that we always try to do, and, and I talked last week about like the income tax where the, the, the total receipts are the same no matter what they, how they change the laws and the rates and everything. You know, people have a desire in their heart and they just figure out a way around the laws to get what they want. It's generally how it works. And he's saying that doesn't really get us where we want to go. I want to put their laws in their heart so they become who I want them to be. That's the better covenant. I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he's made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. All right, so we've got a lot here to chew on. A new covenant that has the law in the hearts. Now, obviously, we have not gotten to the point where there's no need for teaching anymore. Everybody agree with that? Uh, We have not gotten to the point where everyone knows the Lord at this point in time. So this new covenant, ultimate fulfillment is yet in the future. But he is not wanting us to wait until in the future to take advantage of this new covenant. And as the scripture takes place in general, we have ultimate promises that will be tangibly fulfilled in the new earth or the millennial kingdom. And God wants us to have those promises in large part through faith now. The walk of faith now gives us the opportunity to um, to uh, enjoy the benefits of those promises now and prepare us to have maximum benefit of those promises when they become tangible in the future. And we're going to have the same thing here. But what I want to do is go back. This verse 10 here is a quote from the Old Testament. For this covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I'll put the laws in my mind and write them in the hearts. And if you look over to uh, chapter 10, we're going to um, have that same verse Uh, quoted again, chapter 10, verse 15, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he said before, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I'll put my laws in their hearts and in their minds, I'll write them on on them. Then he adds their sin and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. So this is a big point he's making. He's he's actually quotes this um, part of the Old Testament twice. So what I want to do for the rest of our time today is go back into the Old Testament so we get the full context of this Jeremiah uh, quote here. Uh, I will write my laws in their hearts. And also the background of the Old Covenant not working and God saying, I disregarded them. Because uh, remember here, we're writing this to Jewish believers 
And these Jewish believers understand this context, and, and Paul is writing here into this context where they're understanding. So to get the impact the way these guys would have gotten it, we really have to see through their eyes some, to some extent go to this Old Testament passages. I disregarded them, chapter 8, verse 9. So let's go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. So we're going to start with the part that says, I disregarded them when they didn't follow me. And then we're going to end up with Jeremiah. Okay, because this is a whole, we're going to go through about uh, a thousand years of history here in just a few minutes. So Deuteronomy, remember, we um, are coming out of the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And Moses is giving the charge to the nation before they before he hands over the mantle of leadership to Joshua and they go across the Jordan River and into the uh, promised land and possess their possession, possess the inheritance. So that's Deuteronomy here. So we are back at, you know, 1500 B.C., something like that right now. Chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you, and you call them to mind among you all the nations which the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey His voice according to all I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and all your soul. The Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. Okay, we're kind of starting in something midstream here, but can you see what's happening? God says, I've given you blessings and cursings. Now, now what, what did God give as blessings and cursings to the nation of Israel? Yeah, it's consequences, right? If you do what I say, you're going to get the tremendous benefits. And if you don't do what I say, you're going to get really adverse consequences to that. And then he says, and I know you're going to choose the adverse consequences. And when you do, you're going to really be sorry. And then you're going to repent and come back to me. And when you do, I'm going to restore you. Okay, that's, that's kind of the context of this whole passage here. Uh, let's look at 30 verse 11. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious to you. This is actually the, the main argument of Romans we're about to get into. Romans chapter 10 actually quotes this passage that we're about to, about to talk about here. This commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It's not in heaven that you say, who will ascend into heaven and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. In other words, you don't need an angel to come explain this to you. Uh, nor is it beyond the sea, you should say, he'll go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. In other words, you don't need a missionary or, or a consultant or a, uh, an expert to come explain this to you. Why? Because the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. This is actually in Romans chapter 10. This is Paul's argument of what the really, the, the crux of what walking righteousness is. To walk, you know, the righteous shall walk by faith, the just shall live by faith. Well, walking by faith, living by faith starts in the heart. He's actually making the same argument in Hebrews. He's just doing it to a Jewish audience. It starts in the heart. It doesn't matter how many Bible studies we do or how much devotional time we spend or how, how early in the morning we get up, how many people are worse than us, uh, how many mission trips we go on all of which are good things. What matters is the heart. From the heart comes righteousness, not from rules and laws. That's kind of the big point of all this. This teaching will continue in the following episode. 
Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.